Hello, this is Father Neil here, and welcome to the July 10th episode of the podcast, Catechism with Father Neil. Today we're looking at numbers 1499 through 1513 of the Catechism. Article 5, the anointing of the sick. By the sacred anointing of the sick and the prayer of the priests, the whole church commends those who are ill to the suffering and glorified Lord, that he may raise them up and save them. And indeed she exhorts them to contribute to the good of the people of God by freely uniting themselves to the passion and death of Christ. 1. Its foundation in the economy of salvation. Illness in human life. 1500. Illness and suffering have always been among the gravest problems confronted in human life. In illness, man experiences his powerlessness, his limitations and his finitude. Every illness can make us glimpse death. 1501. Illness can lead to anguish, self-absorption, sometimes even despair and revolt against God. It can make a person also more mature, helping him discern in his life what is not essential, so that he can turn towards that which is. Very often, illness provokes a search for God and a return to him. The sick person before God. 1502. The man of the Old Testament lives his sickness in the presence of God. It is before God that he laments his illness, and it is of God, master of life and death, that he implores healing. Illness becomes a way to conversion. God's forgiveness initiates the healing. It is the experience of Israel that his illness is mysteriously linked to sin and evil, and that faithfulness to God, according to his law, restores life. For I am the Lord your healer. The prophet intuits that suffering can also have a redemptive meaning for the sins of others. Finally, Isaiah announces that God will usher in a time for Zion when he will pardon every offence and heal every illness. Christ the Physician, 1503. Christ's compassion towards the sick and his many healings of every kind of infirmity are a resplendent sign that God has visited his people and that the kingdom of God is close at hand. Jesus has the power not only to heal but also to forgive sins. He has come to heal the whole man, soul and body. He is the physician the sick have need of. His compassion towards all who suffer goes so far that he identifies himself with them. I was sick and you visited me. His preferential love for the sick has not ceased through the centuries to draw the very special attention of Christians towards all those who suffer in body and soul. It is the source of tireless efforts to, com to comfort them. 1504. Often Jesus asks the sick to believe. He makes use of signs to heal, spittle and the laying on of hands, mud and washing. The sick try to touch him, for power came forth from him and healed them all. And so, in the sacraments, Christ continues to touch us in order to heal us. 1505. Moved by so much suffering, Christ not only allows himself to be touched by the sick, but he makes their miseries his own. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases, he did, but he did not heal all the sick. His healings were signs of the coming of the kingdom of God. They announced a more radical reality, the victory over sin and death through his Passover. On the cross, Christ took upon himself 
the whole weight of the evil and took away the sin of the world, of which illness is only a consequence. By his passion and death on the cross, Christ has given a new meaning to suffering. It can henceforth configure us to him and unite us with his redemptive passion. Heal the sick, 1506. Christ invites his disciples to follow him by taking up their cross in their turn. By following him, they will acquire a new outlook on illness and the sick. Jesus associates them with his own life of poverty and service. He makes them share in his ministry of compassion and healing. So they went out and preached that men should repent, and they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many of those who were sick and healed them. 1507. The risen Lord renews his mission. In his in my name they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover, and confirms it through the signs that the church performs by invoking his name. These signs demonstrate in a special way that Jesus is truly God who saves. 1508. The Holy Spirit gives some a special charism of healing so as to make manifest the power of the grace of the risen Lord. But even the most intense prayers do not always obtain the healing of all illnesses. Thus St. Paul must learn from the Lord that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, and that the sufferings to be endured can mean that in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. 1509. Heal the sick. The church has received this charge from the Lord and strives to carry it out by taking care of the sick as well as by accompanying them with her prayer of intercession. She believes in the life-giving presence of Christ, the physician of souls and bodies. This presence is particularly active through the sacraments and in an altogether special way through the Eucharist, the bread that gives eternal life and that St. Paul suggests is connected with our bodily health. 1510. However, the Apostolic Church had its own right for the sick, attested to by St. James. Is there any among you sick? Let him call for the elders, presbyters of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, his sins will be forgiven. Tradition has recognized in this right one of the seven sacraments. A sacrament of the sick, 1511. The church believes and confesses that among the seven sacraments there is one especially intended to strengthen those who are being tried by illness, the anointing of the sick. The sacred anointing of the sick was instituted by Christ our Lord as a true and proper sacrament of the New Testament. It is alluded to and indeed by Mark, but is recommended to the faithful and promulgated by James the Apostle and the brother of the Lord. 1512. From ancient times, in the liturgical traditions of both East and West, we have testimonies to the practice of anointing the sick with blessed oil. Over the centuries, the anointing of the sick was conferred more and more exclusively on those at the point of death. Because of this, it received the name Extreme Unction. Notwithstanding this evolution, the liturgy has never failed to beg the Lord that the sick person may recover his health if it would be conductive to his salvation. 1513. The Apostolic Constitution, Sacrum Infirmorum, following upon the Second Vatican Council, established that henceforth in the Roman Rite the following should be observed. The sacrament of the sick is given to those who are seriously ill by anointing them on the forehead and the hands with duly blessed oil, 
pressed from olives or from some other plants, saying only once, through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. Amen. Very good. So this section today, again, uh, was 14 paragraphs of the Catechism, a little bit longer than uh, than usual. But we've moved on to this new sacrament, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, which is a beautiful sacrament. It's a beautiful sacrament. But unfortunately, like penance, it's not used as much as it should be used. It is... The Council of Trent says that not all the sacraments are the same. You can't say that all the sacraments have the same importance. And if we were to go ranking them, although the Church really doesn't rank them other than to say that the Eucharist is the more, most important, but if we were to rank them, this one would probably come towards the end of the seven. But it is nonetheless a beautiful moment of intimacy from the Lord. Because sickness is a trial. Sickness is a question mark. Sickness is never in our plans. We never say, when I grow up, I want to be old and die. That is not what Christian life, that's not what human life is about, we think. And yet, this is what happens to all of us. That sickness awaits every living person. Some people more than others. Some people are much more sick than others, but everybody has to face sickness. Everybody has to face illness. And this illness can be a time of conversion for us. A time to bring us back to God. A time to help us to get our priorities straight. To live proper lives. And the sacrament helps very much in this. That is, again, that the first part of it was, that we read was talking about sickness in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. And it is a very important element of our lives. Part of our problem today is that our society wants to, to uh, eliminate sickness. Again, it's fine for the doctors and the scientists to try to cure diseases. But the idea that we can live forever, the idea that we will conquer cancer, that we will conquer AIDS, we will conquer all the different sicknesses that are out there, and then we live forever and ever, this is not. This is like the Tower of Babel that they tried to build to go up to heaven in the, in the book of Genesis, that this is not not realistic this is not what we should be doing sure we should try to make our life better but to know that our true life is in heaven our true life is in the life to come and that we are invited to to this that it's something that is um something that is really beautiful to be in heaven and that our life here is to prepare us for this and part of this preparation is through sickness and this is why in a sense the church consecrates sickness makes sickness holy, allows the Christian to live in a different way. That the sick bed of the Christian can be an instrument of salvation for the Christian and for those for whom he or she offers his suffering. That this is a different, totally different way. And for this we need the sacrament. Again, we look at it a bit more uh, tomorrow into the um, into the, 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 the reality of the sacrament but it's a sacrament that we have especially from the Apostle James the letter James tells us about this sacrament but it is a beautiful sacrament it is really a beautiful sacrament that we need to, we need to foster and we need to look out for 
and that if you have somebody, if you are sick, or if you have somebody that's sick, and again, sick means something specific. It doesn't mean that uh, you, you've got, um, I don't know, a hangover or a headache or you're having a bad hair day. Sick is something that's serious, somebody who's debilitated by their sickness. But on the other hand, it's not simply somebody who's dying. That for a long time, the sacrament was restricted to those who were on the point of death. And that's why they use the name in the Middle Ages, extreme unction. The sacrament isn't just for those who are dying. Yes, those who are dying, but for those who are sick. Those who are sick and will hopefully get better should should avail of the sacrament. And that we should try our best to do it. So it's not about anointing everybody. Some parishes anoint everybody, uh, do healing masses and anoint everybody and say we'll anoint those who are sick in the spirit, those who are sick in the soul. That's not what the sacrament is for. We have another sacrament that's very good for people who are sick in the spirit and sick in the soul. It's called confession. The last sacrament we were looking at. This is for those who are sick in the body. But as I say, it is a beautiful sacrament that we should really try to help those who are sick to avail of. That if we have a neighbour or a family member to try to bring them to a priest or bring a priest to them, to try to do our best to... uh, to, to have the sacrament to be known because, again, it's a beautiful sacrament that can help us so much. So we'll continue tomorrow and tomorrow we look at 1514 through 1516. God bless.